Welcome back to Seattle Sucks, a podcast about hating the city we love. We are back on the boat. The whole normal crew is here, but we're here with a special guest. Brian, I'm going to let you do the honors. Can you introduce our guest, please? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I met this guy <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> Respected as ginger energy. <laughs> There's a lot of time. ginger energy on this boat right now. A lot of ginger beards right now. And ginger drinks, too. But uh, this is my good friend, and uh, I think we decided official sanctioned historian, Dr. Kevin McKenna. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Tell me, we, we're having a doctor of philosophy aboard. <laughs> doctor of philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a doctor of medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin teaches uh, high school locally and just got his PhD from the University of Washington. And thought we'd have him on, ask for medical advice. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh. So we're all going to die tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> hey, Kevin has more medical afflictions than anybody I've met that like is a time allergy. I feel like we've had some some time close calls. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you did well, tell me that, and I was like furiously scanning the, the list of ingredients. Well, we had things. Well, you told me this, How did like, that three make times. it into my bio? Yeah. <laughs> you told me this like three times, and... Yeah. I was planning to buy food for tonight if I had not been working like 14 hours, and uh, it had totally left my mind. Just, <laughs> well, just, well, the, just absolutely gone. Well, the funny thing is, I've had Thanksgiving with Kevin like many times, and trying to make a Thanksgiving food item without time in it. Let me tell you what, there's one ingredient that is in every Thanksgiving food item, and that's fucking time. And you kind of notice if it's not that. It's delicious, Kevin. You, you are missing out. Like, it's so good. It's so good. But, if you concentrated it, it smells absolutely evil. Yeah. It is It is a little funky. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. But, uh, so, it gives me the hives, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's been some close calls, to be sure. I think one time, I think maybe the first time I learned that you were allergic this time was you were... I, I'm doing Greg's, I'm doing Greg's, like, wasting okay. time. Yeah. Part, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think we were doing, like, a Thanksgiving, and I made the stuffing, and I think you were, like, eating it while you were asking me if I had time. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, it's stuffing. <laughs> but yeah, so, anyways. So... Kevin studies uh, the history of uh, gay Seattle. Is that fair to say? Sure. Uh, gay, gay politics in Seattle in particular. Uh, more the history of the gay movement in Seattle, or the gay movements, I should say, um, and how that intersects with city politics. Um, not so much the, like, the social and cultural history. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the t- Pride in 2017 and the Pride Parade in 2017. And I think I was mentioning that me and, me and my girlfriend were over by the Seattle Center side of the Pride March. It was like the very end of it. And uh, it was such a weird year because, uh, you know, like Trump had just gotten elected. Um, and he had just dropped uh, the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan. Awesome. And Yeah, awesome, yeah. And, like, at the front of the Pride March was, like, uh, you know, some, like, companies or corporations. But there was also, like, a, like a military, like, you know, group going through about, like, you know, gays in the military and just being, like, I mean, we just have an enormous bomb on Afghanistan. I don't know that, like, now's the time to be, like, cheering for the military. And a move that was just purely done to, like, boost a shitty president's fucking approval rating for a second. 
Uh, and similarly, they're also immediately following the military, of course, with Seattle PD and their rainbow cars and stuff like that. And that was the... They had rainbow cars? Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking whole thing they do Wait, But year. didn't you have an epic tweet about the Moab? Oh, in the Moab, I tweeted... <laughs> I had tweeted that I've... You know, uh, you know, gays in the military, great. I'm sure there were no gay people under the Moab when Trump <laughs> <laughs> You got like 10,000 people. I'm sure none yeah, of them were gay. It's, it's weird. Fine. Wars kill people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a, what a cool thing to celebrate because uh, the American military did great things abroad. But um, the uh, when the police came by, it was a. I mean, this was the height of uh, the police at CLPD had just killed Charlie Lyles. One week to the day before to the be parade. Fair, they've, wow. they've yeah. always just killed someone. someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Seems like it. And I mean, uh, you're just. I mean, you could throw a dart at a calendar. Yeah, and, and people were definitely not in a pro SPD mood because I remember SPD on Twitter, their official account had posted a thing that was like, you know, SPD at Pride, let us know how we can make your Pride better. And literally everybody just responded, like, you could stop, like, killing black people. <laughs> like, that, that would make everybody's day better. But, uh, so while the march is happening, like, SPD went by, and I think they literally were the last ones who went by, and there was, like, just nothing. Like, it, you know, and everybody's getting, like, antsy in their pantsy because, you know, they think that, uh, you know, there's supposed to be more march, and they're, like, getting upset. And it slowly comes out that there is a protest up the ways of, of the march, right, that is protesting SPD, and let's just say, at least in the area I was standing, people were not thrilled. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Kevin, I, maybe you can inform us a little about like what was going on at the... Sure, yeah. Um, it was a, a, what, a no justice, no pride action um, led by uh, young queer people of color um, who sat down in the middle of the street um, to stop the parade to raise attention to Charlene Lyles, who had just been murdered in police brutality and Black Lives Matter more generally. Um, and while they, while that was happening, I think the parade stopped for half an hour or so, it, maybe even a little bit less, but while they were doing that, um, they were able to get on the loudspeakers and, um, give a history of the Stonewall Riots, which we are about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of in a few weeks here, um, which was led by trans people of color um, and other, I mean, the Stonewall Inn, aside from just being a gay bar, was a bar that was welcoming to working class people, um, trans people of color. It was a bar that the most marginalized in New York City were welcome at. Um, and so it's not coincidental that this is a bar that the New York Police Department decides to raid in late June of 1969. That history, which is what the parade is commemorating, Seattle Pride always coincides with the anniversary of Stonewall, you know, was a really important intervention in this parade that has become, as Brian mentioned, more or less a rainbow capitalist parade. Yeah, I um, thought it was commemorating good times, but gay. <laughs> well like uh, maybe uh for all like the dumb uh straight guys definitely not in this boat uh <laughs> stonewall so the stonewall inn is is in new york right and it's bringing a clientele that is we'll just say low income and very diverse a very diverse yeah. crowd and um, nypd like why is nypd there so this was routine not just in new york city but in in most American cities, um, 
Seattle was somewhat of an exception, which I can talk about. But, um, but you know, this was in the post World War II. You know, during World War II, the U.S. military literally screened everyone for homosexuality, <laughs> um, which ironically <laughs> fostered these ginormous gay communities in places like New York and San Francisco mm. um, and other places that a lot of military personnel moved in and out of, and people who probably never had even thought of themselves as such because of the screening that they went through were now exposed to this idea of being gay. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and then when they got discharged, they knew exactly where to go. So, so what, what, was the screening where they just feeling like the bumps on their heads? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's Italian, this yeah. one's gay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean they. I mean they would just ask them straight up, like you know, do you do you have sex with men? Um, and then, if, but also if if men a acted too effeminate, the assumption was that they were gay and they would be excluded from the military, um, which you know, good for them not having to go to World War Two. Yeah. Um, or would get discharged along the way, dishonorably discharged. Yeah. So. So they missed on out on the freedom war in Korea. That's their mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the, the dawn of that kind of um, anxiety around sexuality in the U.S. military that, you know, continues. I mean, now we're dealing with anxiety around trans people in the military. Yeah. And this led to, like, people in gay communities being kind of, you know, concentrated in some of these urban areas. Exactly. Like in New York City. Exactly. World War One played <laughs> some role, but World War Two really... Made, mm. blew that blew it up. Yeah. So, um, you know, the police just like shaking them down in these bars because I mean, like nobody has sympathy for. Yeah. Them so, whatever, in a lot know, of like, these places, it was uh, not just police brutality, but it was extortion at the same time. So there, um, you know, I mean, police could abuse. There, there were no protections from getting fired from your job. Cross dressing in New York City was illegal. So mm -hmm. you could literally be thrown in jail for, for wearing clothing that did not match your genitalia. Well, there goes the theater. <laughs> I mean, like, they like cross dressing <laughs> a critical element of fucking And, and what's, yeah. what's really interesting about yeah. that is New York had a very open drag performance. Yeah. Ever, like, it was, this is things that straight people would go to in the 1920s. And then Fiorella LaGuardia came in as mayor, and he's, of course, touted as this progressive mayor of New York City. And the police immediately put the hush-hush on all of that. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. A progressive mayor hmm. engaged in some anti-LGBTQ activities. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe this probably won't ever come up again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're shaking them down at the, at the club. And then what the people at the, at the bar do? So at that, that night at Stonewall. So this happened pretty routinely. And Stonewall was not the first reaction to an, an instance of police brutality. In fact, something on a similar scale had happened in San Francisco, mm. um, New Year's Eve going into New Year's Day, 1965. But for whatever reason, Stonewall caught on as, as this, um, people kind of latched onto Stonewall as, uh, as a birthing moment of this new radical movement where gay men and lesbians were, you know, and trans folks, we're not going to take it anymore. Um, so the rumblings had been there, and other forms of gay activism had also taken hold as well that looked different, that were much more about um, acceptance 
as being normal people, this is referred to as the homophile movement. But many people point to Stonewall as the birth of gay liberation, even though the groundwork was being laid well before mm. Stonewall. Yeah, there's never like a moment, right, where a thing right. comes into birth. But, you know, people latch on. Something captures the imagination. Exactly, or whatever. exactly. Yeah. And it certainly yeah. caught the imagination of, of gay folks in Seattle who continue to celebrate Pride that same weekend, mm-hmm. and San Francisco and Chicago, all those cities, and New York City, obviously. Um, yeah, so Stonewall happens. So how do we get to Pride from Stonewall, mm-hmm. right? The earliest Prides happened in cities that had these big visible gay populations, of which Seattle was one. Um, one reason Seattle was one, perhaps disproportionately to its size, um, is that Seattle didn't have the same kind of police brutality that other cities had. Mm. And, you know, that word got out, you know, probably even to some folks in San Francisco, especially. But they, I mean, they did extort gay bar owners. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, police will police. Right. So, you know, the gay bar owners paid for many, many years. And there was one instance in 1958 where the police did raid a bar and it, it, it was a disruption of that status quo of, of the bars being left alone um, that, you know, people threatened to throw these policemen under the bus and, and expose the whole thing. Um, and so the, the system went right back into existence how it had been until around 1970 um, when a couple gay bar owners decided that they'd had enough of that the irony of this is, so during that time, if, if you were not a bar owner and were just a random gay or lesbian person or someone exploring your sexual identity at these bars um, down in Pioneer Square, you had a high degree of freedom once you were inside that door. And sometimes mm-hmm. police would even help prevent straight people from entering those spaces, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the sources I looked at, at, you know, detail, you know, with with police being present and fully knowing that this was going on, like, you know, sexual activity happening on the dance floor. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, and, and underage kids getting into these spaces. Um, it was really anything goes. They were they were getting paid, you know, mm. overtime by through the payoff system. So... They didn't yeah. give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The good, the good old days of old police corruption. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, but then once that cover was blown in 1970, then um, Wes Ullman, who had recently become mayor, uh, decided to bring in someone with a reputation for uh, reforming the police department, which mm-hmm. means... Gen- which meant more aggressive policing and especially more policing of victimless crimes. Um, So um, more raiding of gay bars and also um, crackdown on prostitution and gambling and all of those kinds of things. Mm. Um, And that lasted a few years. And then um, gay people in Seattle found their voice and and really mobilized against this police chief, uh, George Teelsch. And in that process of fighting this, this, what was in Seattle, really a new form of police brutality, um, Seattle became the first city of its size to pass non-discrimination protections in employment for gay men and lesbians in 1973. Um, San Francisco had done it just for municipal employees, but Seattle did it 
as a citywide ordinance that in, included private private employers. Yeah. This yeah. Was, this was a result of activism coming out of these starting out of the these gay clubs. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and this was, you know, this is post Stonewall. So there's, th this is comes from radical activism. These are these are folks who are in the streets, being their queer selves. N mm -hmm. You know, not trying to portray themselves as normal, but saying, but but, um, commanding respect for their humanity on their own terms. What is it? I mean, is it safe to say, I mean, given it's like 1969, 1970, 71, right? These are people who probably had some foot in like civil rights actions. I mean, yes, like this is stuff. Right? This is, I mean, yeah. People, yeah, I mean, people, yeah. there's some, there's some groundwork for, absolutely, you know, a absolutely. Movement, yeah. Right? Anti-war movement. They're gen yeah. this is generally that generation, the baby boomer generation. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is, of course, on the heels of black power as well. Mm. You know, yeah. gay power was, was one of the slogans. Um, it was radical activism that got that on, on the map. And Seattle probably benefited from having a, a fairly young mayor who was a, perhaps more receptive to that than in a lot of other American cities. Um, mm. He himself was, I think he was close to 30 years old when he was elected, so... So yeah, so that's where Seattle's reputation as this gay-friendly town begins, really, in 1973 yeah. with that employment ordinance. Yeah. What if you were to go to like a pride parade in 1973 or 74 or whatever? What, what would it look like? There was not even a parade then. Yeah. Um, so the earliest gay pride celebrations in Seattle in the early 70s... Um, they were held at Seattle Center, actually. The, the mm -hmm. idea was, let's get people out in public, visibly in public, and, you know, there's pictures of naked gay men and lesbians jumping around <laughs> in the fountain at Seattle Center um, from 1974 that I've seen. It then became a march. They did not call it a parade. Um, so they marched from, um, generally, roughly from Pioneer Square down... Um, third or fourth avenue through the middle of downtown Seattle. Yeah, because Pioneer Square is like the gay neighborhood at this point. Yeah, right? so yeah. so that's where the bars are. So yeah. the, and the reason they're there is because respectable white middle class people did not touch Pioneer Square with a ten foot pole back in those days. Yeah. This was where that's uh, only changed pretty recently. Yeah, so you yeah. know there was yeah. a large homeless population, a lot of um, very visible prostitution, single resident occupancy hotels. Um, that transient workers um, lived in temporarily, um, you know, and generally very non-white. Yeah. Lot, very, you know, uh, very much a place where, you know, there were jazz clubs, there were mm. Native Americans, there were Asian folks. It's right yeah. next to the ID. Um, yeah, and traditionally, like, red-lined neighborhoods, right, where, like, mm -hmm. Asian and black populations are trapped, you know, essentially these in these neighborhoods, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so this was a place where white middle-class gay men and lesbians could go without the fear of running into anybody that they knew mm -hmm. other than their, like, you know, gay friends. You know, the gay liberation movement changes that as this mm. becomes more visible, as, as policing becomes more common. It was very common all over the country when these police raids happened for people's names to be published in newspapers and they, 
mm -hmm. would lose their jobs generally. Sometimes lose their housing. Um, so they would like raid a bar and then just put your fucking name in the paper. And just put like it on all, a blotter. Put it on fucking blast. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, you know, your family could disown you. I mean, there were very serious consequences that could happen from having your identity found out. So this is like the first uh, case of doxing, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Always a right wing tool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so. Up to 2017, right? We're not on a march now. We're on a parade. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to guess that maybe the uh, issues that were front and center of the 2017 parade, at least from the official you know, parade itself, were maybe a hair different than they were in 75. Right. right. So, you know, the march was for just basic rights. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you know, um, there were the employment protections in 73, but housing protections barely passed, five to four in um, the city oh. council in 75. Um, and in 75 is when you start getting more moderate voices that become more prominent. So, mm -hmm. um, and many of them, you know, started in the homophile movement. Many others only were able to come out because of gay liberation mm -hmm. and then sh and then in many ways shifted the focus um, to this I'm gay but I'm still white middle class which yeah. which yeah. from your dissertation you called heteronormativity right yeah yeah so heteronormativity is a um, a term coined by Lisa Dugan um, to describe this exact kind of politics and mm -hmm. um, and gay folks who tend to fall into white heteronormative ways of being, mm -hmm. um, you know, married, single family home, consumers, yeah. you know. But it seems like it maybe like the parallel is in the sort of feminist movement that had these like radical leanings in the late 60s, early 70s. But by the 80s, and certainly by today, it just boiled down to, you know, how come uh, there aren't more women CEOs, right? Like, it was just a promotional program for right. the already yeah. wealthy, you yeah. know? No, like, that's a, a very good yeah. parallel. And <laughs> feminism and gay liberation parallel each other mm. very closely. Yeah. Um, and lesbian feminism, it's worth pointing out, um, was, you know, this was a time where, you know, women were asserting themselves and their identities and lesbian feminists uh very often um had their their own um activism that was very separate from gay men they wrote gay men off as and and you know in some ways you know uh correctly <laughs> as um <laughs> As misogynists. <laughs> gay, gay, but still men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as misogynists and tools of the patriarchy and whatnot, so... But you, you touch on that, too, in your dissertation, that uh, it, that gay men did have a lot of privilege um, because they were still men, and if they were white, they had even more power. Um, and that that's something else that I wanted to ask you about was this concept of sex blindness, uh, which I thought was really interesting because it feels like all of all of these liberal ideas are really about passing as normal, and so um, yeah, I I'd love to hear about more about sex. Yeah, so I I you know I came up with that term really a, it's a gro an outgrowth of color blindness, mm -hmm. um, 
which you know folks like Michelle Alexander and others have written a, written used as a framework to write about this as really what Brian was talking about this shift of, from what radical movements in the 60s and 70s were really arguing for which was like a restructuring of society to be truly inclusive yeah. um, and equitable um, toward this token kind of inclusion of well as long as we get a few of them up there in the top whatever whatever percent then that's inclusion and so you know we see that with colorblindness with you know supreme court decisions that strip away at race conscious tools that are meant to create a more mm -hmm. equitable society and and you see that also with um the politics of of moderate gay men and lesbians who um are essentially arguing for it not being their identity their sexual identity of not being something remarkable right of and, just being yeah. a normal person yeah. which in the society we live in is, um, of course, the subtext is white middle class. Yeah, yeah, and you know, heterosexual. Yeah. Well, well, maybe in that context, we can talk about this. So there's this thing in in 1995, right, where there's an acceptance in Seattle of um, uh, uh, they call it domestic partnerships, right. And then seemingly right after it, uh, they start closing all the parks at night. <laughs> And yeah, so maybe we can talk a little bit about that to kind of show how this like sex blindness works in practice. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, one of the most fascinating thing that I didn't expect to find and found when I was doing my research. So, um, yeah, in the early 90s, there was um, a push um, very simultaneous and e even involving a lot of the same actors, which is really fascinating and I don't know that they thought of the two issues in relation to one another at all, but when you think about them together, it's mm -hmm. it's really the inclusion of the gay couple and the exclusion of any any sort of visible public sexuality. So um, by 1994, Seattle has. Um, domestic partnership recognition available for everyone, which is completely symbolic. Um, the city had tried to actually have a real domestic partnership program where city employees could actually get their partner's benefits. Mm -hmm. And then because of federal law, they were unable to do that. So it's truly symbolic. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, it, it is uh, rainbow washing. Yeah. yeah. Um, or pink washing. Yeah. Um, and as that's happening, um, first in Volunteer Park on North Capitol Hill in the early 90s, um, the quote friends of volunteer park, which are generally the very wealthy white folks that live right around the park mm -hmm. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about um, there's Giant mansions like pretty much mm -hmm. in every direction from there. So and you know generally speaking these are people who have a lot of time on their hands because they are housewives or they well, the rich people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> people yeah. Or they make money and you know when, when other volunteer in their spare you. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, volunteer. You know, and and they they literally refer to Volunteer Park as their backyard. So. Yeah. Um, and they have. I mean, you when you're you have money, you have power. You have, mm -hmm. people take your phone calls. Oh yeah. You make a stink. You don't have to have a march. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You got your city council person. You just yeah. call right up. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they start pushing, and the city the city resist this for some time. Um, but ultimately, Volunteer Park is the first park that has hours. You used to mm-hmm. just be able to hang out in a public park whenever. Mm-hmm. And the assumption was, it's a public park. If you want to go for a walk at 3 a.m. Yeah, you're part of the public, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and even a lot of, you know, a lot of folks who maybe opposed some of these sexual activity or... Um, realistically, drug use was probably part of it. Sex was, Mm -hmm. was what is literally in the, in the written record, which is fascinating, but other cities are doing the same thing in the Mm nineties and just, it's about, you know, drugs and homelessness and there, there's no, um, airs about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm, my hunch is that's at play as well, but, but, Mm. but sex becomes something that. I guess is more palatable to be yeah. against. Well, well, interestingly, maybe, um, so like Capitol Hills kind of become the gay neighborhood at this point, right? Maybe it's moved out of Pioneer Square and kind of up the hill at this point. So why are people having sex in the park? I guess. Yeah. So why not in their homes, in those mansions? <laughs> <laughs> well, not, definitely not having sex in so those mansions. That's nothing I'm, to do with that. So I'm confused. <laughs> you mentioned that there are all these mansions around Volunteer Park, whose backyard is in fact that park. No. Why are the people having sex in the park and not in their homes? So these is are not just a fetish <laughs> of these people. Not the people in the mansions, generally speaking. But uh, so somebody's in the mansion people's backyard. <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a combination of things at play here. So there are you know there are people who just you know like cruising. They like mm-hmm. they like the idea of like sneaking around a bush and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there are people who are not gay identified. Mm-hmm. Who, this is a place where they can meet people for sex without going into a bathhouse um, or um, otherwise outing themselves um, yeah. to it's anyone. It's literally dark and at night. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and certainly in the early 90s, a lot of people can't and, just bring uh, their boyfriend home, right? You know, because they're like, oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Also, also that, yes. Yeah. Like, if you live yeah, with your yeah. family, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and also Volunteer Park back in those days had these basically like giant tree tents that you, I mean, so it wasn't even, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like you were walking through the park and there were just dudes fucking everywhere. Like, <laughs> you know. Um, this is in Berlin, all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's fascinating to read. There's a lot of commentary in Seattle Gay News around this while this mm-hmm. is a conversation. And there's... Um, some of the there's a there was a um one of the articles i came or editorials i came across was written by a lesbian who was all in favor of this she's like if we start closing this down you know basically saying this is like a step towards fascism if you know if we close these parks overnight and Mm -hmm. basically like who gives a fuck if if dudes are fucking in bushes yeah yeah um, you know, a reasonable another response. person wrote in and was, and basically said, just like, don't leave your dirty fucking condoms lying around everywhere. And like, maybe mm. that'll save, save this from happening. Sure. Um, this is of course during the AIDS epidemic though. Seattle is, is public health response to AIDS is, is 
more robust than really any other American city. So you don't see the fear of AIDS really come up in these conversations because Seattle is a city that is by and large educated about AIDS in a way that a lot of other places aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but Volunteer Park does end up getting closed overnight. And then uh, in the summer of 94, literally as domestic partnership is happening, um, the North Precinct in Seattle is literally entrapping men in mm-hmm. Woodland Park into, okay. into sex. Like lure, like, like pretending like they're like cruising undercover cops, and then exactly. And under what, like, like what would they charge? Like, what were they claiming they were up to? Just lewd public lewdness, or yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. So just hitting with like the most bullshit of like tiny crimes. Right. <laughs> exactly. Are, Again, yeah, victimless yeah. crimes. So yeah, we're, all, yeah, we're back yeah. really to the George Teal's days. Mm-hmm. Um. And then at that point. Rather than be like, okay, now we're going to close Woodland Park, they just blanket closed every park in Seattle. At that time, it was between 11 and 4. I think now they've extended those hours from 10 to 6, mm-hmm. which in the summer, just... as you know, yeah. is like, it's not yeah. even dark it's yeah. absurd. <laughs> at yeah. 10, yeah. or certainly at 6, the sun is already up. So, um, and, then, <coughs> and then that becomes not just a gay problem, but for folks that are homeless or, mm-hmm. you know, it, that becomes a, a way for the police to mm-hmm. arrest people in public space, regardless of what they're doing there. Well, it seems like an assertion of the right. So if we think about Volunteer Park, uh, of the mansion people, it's an assertion that's saying that, yeah, this is your backyard, actually. You know, like their rights are being asserted over the rights of... Lesser, lesser people. Yeah, this quote-unquote right? public space, right, yeah. is being recognized as this private backyard for these folks. Yes. Yeah, 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 that they can call the shots on or whatever. Right. Yeah. So for the the sort of uh, stand-up <laughs> gay community of like white businessmen, what's their take on the on the park situation? Uh, so at this point in time, there there is a. Um, Actually, really, by, by that time, they already have the um, Gay and Lesbian, Seattle Gay and Lesbian Commission, I think it was called at the time. It's now the LGBT, they've maybe added a Q now, commission. Um, <laughs> Little steps. Yeah, so it, it, so first there was just a Mayor's Gay and Lesbian Task Force, which was formed at the height of the AIDS epidemic, um, which only advised the mayor. Mm-hmm. As a commission, it advises the council and the mayor. Um and the people tapped to be on it, which are all chosen by the city council mm. and the mayor, um, at, in those days were, were people generally from that cohort of moderate gay politics. Um, and so they, even, there were even some, um, in, interestingly, Ed Murray is one of these people. <laughs> Luckily, he never comes up in the news. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, luckily, he never engaged in abnormal yeah. sex acts that Man, be I was hoping I'd be the about. first to drop Ed Murray's name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But Ed Murray was, is, is a spokesperson. I think he's yeah. the head of this thing. Uh, it might have still been the, the mayor's gay task force in the mm-hmm. early 90s when he was on it. Um, and he's, he's resistant of it and, and making mm-hmm. this argument that um, you're, you're ruining ruining fathers' lives who need this park to have basically cheat on their wives with dudes. 
<laughs> that's honestly wow. That's some galaxy brain shit right there. Well, but also if Ed Murray, if that was like, if he had posted that everywhere when he was running his mayor, I would have fucking voted for him. <laughs> <laughs> like, that fucking rules. <laughs> I mean, but that that sort of is a sum up, right? Because he's like, it's identifying like who who the important victim is here is some kind of closeted men or yeah, yeah or like, you know straight identifying a, men yeah a, someone with a home and a family a middle class right yes like, yeah 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 family well, politics is central to the argument yeah and sort of like establishing you know in and out groups right of this is acceptable behavior which is a domestic partnership i guess mm-hmm. which models a, a married fi- you know a, yeah. a nuclear family and the non-acceptable behavior of, mm-hmm. you know, largely groups that are marginalized already, right? I mean, if you're having sex in the park for the most part, you're probably not, like, so, <laughs> you know, doing great in the city, yeah. you know? So like, it seems uh, like the progression yeah. of this kind of um, viewpoint is, like, from... And, well, in that, it's like Ed Murray says, like, the the... An acceptable homosexual who is closeted and living like a heteronormative life in one sense, in that they're they have you know mm-hmm. a wife and children, but it, it needs to be okay for them to be gay, which seems like a very small like a very small, not very radical ask. And then that has then since then moved just a little ways into. It seems like that the next step from that is being out and gay, but still living that heteronormative life. Like yeah, you seem very can, connected. You to can, me. Yes, exactly. You can you can see the argument for domestic partnership embedded in that argument against closing the parks, in, even even there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I get to present on this at the first ever queer history conference in a week. Or two. So. Um, it's in San Francisco, June sixteenth to eighteenth. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, so jump forward. Um, Barack Obama and Ed Murray, hand in hand, make it okay to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> they also end racism too. Convenient as well. Well, throw in the Supreme Court with that too. Yeah. Well, we um, kind. Of, well, I me mean, interesting. Was there a gay mayor before Ed Murray? Is it Ed Murray and then Durkin just back to back in Seattle? It's yeah. it's Murray and Durkin. Yeah. So so we basically we we reached the sort of uh, heights of color blindness when Obama gets elected and racism is extinguished from the earth, mm-hmm. only to be reintroduced by uh, Moscow uh, years later. But <laughs> but uh, Ed Murray and then of course Jay Durkin, who's lesbian get elected Seattle, and this has now changed the formula for for the LGBTQ community in Seattle, who are now perfectly liberated and on an equal footing with everyone else. Um, so it's kind of like a short story for us. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We won, guys. Um, not exactly. What's so. important is who did it, and that is elected Democrats. And Murray. Yeah. Yes, and Murray single-handedly. Yes, I mean, as we can I mean, the, you know... My, the story keeps writing its fucking self. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of it, I mean it's not unreal because it's you know it's 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 real and it's perhaps hyper real, mm-hmm. but um, with you know both 
certainly, I mean, right now we can see with Jenny Durkin and her approach to homelessness in Seattle, mm -hmm. that politics of domestic partnership combined with mm -hmm. closing parks overnight is is still happening. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, she'll close some parks, right? Yeah. Well, she definitely has an idea of, like, whose city it is, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, she's sort of the embodiment of that. Well, and Ed Murray, I mean, the interesting thing about Ed Murray, he ends up getting taken down. He's a very popular with the business community mayor mm -hmm. who gets taken down by a sex scandal, right? Yeah. You know, that whether you approve of Ed Murray's sex life or not, I mean, they essentially just write him out as, like, he's not the... Uh, the loving house husband that we thought he was or some shit like right, that. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing, too, is a lot of the people fighting for domestic partnership themselves have very queer relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, their their public face is different than their private life. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I mean, and, you know, of course, Jenny Durkin stands by Ed Murray through a number of now men who accused him of molesting mm -hmm. them and she stands by his side until his own cousin throws his name in the ring and then mm -hmm. and then she's like oh these claims must must actually be yeah. true well they at least have reached a point where it's i, I don't know that you know not to put you know, any words in jay durkin's mouth i don't know that she's ever cared about whether things are true or not i think it's all political calculus <laughs> yeah, right definitely. you know the, the political calculus got it just got pushed so far one direction right that she had to jump off but but it's kind of interesting i mean because basically like it is that yeah ed murray just you know he was not having the approved sex right <laughs> you know right like you know in some ways you know right yeah not to, not to say that he should have been like molesting his cousin but no but no, like absolutely not but <laughs> definitely but, not <laughs> But yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that that to me seems like the crux of sex blindness for the liberal is that it is okay to be gay as long as I don't know mm -hmm. that you're gay, exactly, or, the, or at least I theoretically could not. Know. Right? Yeah, yeah, I can. I don't mm -hmm. have to know the details. I don't have to know anything. Or or about that your sex life. You uh, or the reality offer of your, your sex life. This uh, flattery to white middle class heteronormativity by emulating it you know at the same time just like we see with color blindness it's not really it's a selective blindness mm -hmm. right because at the same time you're touting this as a gay tolerant city same as you know george hw bush rolls out clarence thomas mm -hmm. you know yeah 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 well and what do you think and maybe this is like too big a question but and George W. Bush had the most diverse cabinet of any president we've ever had. Which is why he was such a great president. <laughs> so, so, representation. Know, this is actually a pro GW. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he, he was very color aware in a, a way to he, try to rewrite the script on his own racist politics. Well, apparently amongst you know, self-identified Democratic liberals has like a 70% approval rating now, too. Oh, yeah. So I guess, you know, he did it right. But well, That tells you something. Well, yeah, tell, <laughs> yeah, that tells you something about the Democrat. It tells you all you need to know about the Democratic Party. But but the, uh, this idea, though, of like the, the sort of heteronormativity and this idea of this like idealized family structure. And like I said, maybe this is too big a question, but it's like, what's with the obsession with that? <laughs> Like, 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 why does it fucking matter? Like, who, who, who cares that, like, somebody is fucking a dude in a park at 2 a.m.? Like, 
you know, what are you doing? You know, so that, <laughs> is that this, impeding on anybody's life? You yeah, know, this, yeah. this has a long history that really goes back to the progressive era mm-hmm. of the white middle class asserting itself politically, both by reigning in corporations who've just taken their own labor away from them, essentially, mm-hmm. and policing working class behavior, including prostitution. Mm-hmm. Washington's sodomy law is only passed in 1893. Mm-hmm. It was not passed when it, it was passed soon after it became a state, but um, and 1893 is of course right before um, the Alaska Yukon Gold Rush, mm-hmm. and Seattle was like also by the way 10 men for every woman back then so so there was a lot of celibacy (laughs) (laughs) um not unlike today yeah (laughs) it was the same ratio of men and podcasting yeah (laughs) Yeah, so there's definitely this anxiety and by the powerful and and Mm -hmm. perhaps by places in washington that are not seattle that, you know, Seattle is this, like, Sodom and Gomorrah place mm-hmm. that needs to be reined in. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you're, you know, sort of, uh, you know, an itinerant laborer in Seattle, maybe living down in, like, you know, the Skid Road area, mm-hmm. uh, presumably having, there's lots of male prostitutes, too, along with female prostitutes, like, having sex with men in Skid Road, I mean, is there even a concept at the time of, like, Hardline, you're gay, you're straight. No, no, um, no. I mean, George Chauncey's book on New York City during this time is mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, gay New York, if if you feel compelled to read it, but mm-hmm. um, no. So there's um, the word homosexual doesn't enter the English language until 1895, and that's mm-hmm. in a scientific context. Um, as George Chauncey argues, the the social identity doesn't fully crystallize really until 1930, mm-hmm. um, and that it's as if you are the the penetrative partner, mm-hmm. um, there's really no anxiety about who you have sex with at all, mm-hmm. especially especially among a lot of um, working class Europeans, of which there were many, mm-hmm. in you know, Seattle was very much a Nordic town. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people would would have a certain identity associated with them if they were a, re- a receptive sexual partner, mm-hmm. um, in which many of the male prostitutes were. Um, but, you know, who you had sex with wasn't, like, foundational to your identity. Um in 1893 it was still called sodomy and and Mm -hmm. the words sodomy isn't even used in the law it's simply called crime against nature and it was assumed (laughs) that you knew what that meant yeah um that's pretty broad yeah yeah. (laughs) well so frankenstein (laughs) yeah um to bring it back to the president like so what um okay so the gay politics that's won out here is this like you say, heteronormative, sex-blind thing. Like, I mean, isn't that good? Doesn't who's who? Who's the victim here? So, th- excuse me. So this um, this continues to allow the exclusion of a lot of other people. So, 
people who are polyamorous, people who don't want to have marry anyone, people who um, just are do, do not have that lifestyle and. Um, you know, especially with the way that certain rights are conferred in this country based on your marital status, it becomes this, it's an institution that the, the state incentivizes in many ways, um, rather than, and, and it continues this social reproduction um, that reproduces this consumptive heteronormative mm -hmm. well, society that it, we live right. in. If you're, if you're middle class, if you're on that track, family, kids, you're going to have to have jobs. You're going to have, you're going to want to buy a house and cars. So you're really not challenging the basic structure of our society or of exactly. the power of exactly. capital yeah. in anything but this sort of, what when you strip it down to just this heteronormative, sex-blind version white middle class version of homosexuality all you're really challenging is some is this kind of vague social sexual moray and nothing else about the real power structure of society so Correct. it's like it's inclusion great. in society sure, why not? as it you exists know? without changing any of any of the basic underlying premises of the society that we live in and so if you're willing to do that to buy into the the real things that really matter at the end of the day, you're a or willing or able, uh, then you can then yeah you're included. But if you're not willing or I mean really able because a lot of this is economic, I think um, then you're you're shit out of luck. It's what it mm -hmm. seems like. So maybe. Um going back in time a little bit to illuminate how this plays out a little bit in Seattle is this um, 1978 like sort of initiative battle because we have this slightly moronic referendum system <laughs> in, in Washington uh, where the, there's two initiatives, you know, an initiative 13, initiative 15, mm -hmm. one about discrimination against, uh, I assume at this point, just gay and lesbian people in housing and uh, another initiative that says uh, cops can actually take flamethrowers to children. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe you could like uh, tell us a little bit how the, it got to there and how that played out, and maybe we could maybe that would be illuminating. Sure, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so 1978, um, yeah, starting in the fall of 1977, Anita Bryant had started her anti-gay crusade uh, mm -hmm. in Miami-Dade County. Wonderful orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, starting in Miami-Dade County and then in a few other cities. And then um, two, uh, at least one of them was Mormon, two cops from Seattle... Um, Dennis Falk and David Estes introduced a similar initiative here in Seattle that would strip away those housing and employment protections hmm. that were passed in 73 and 75. So, two police officers, to be clear, mm -hmm. two of our hallowed guardian protectors, the real troops. <laughs> As we call them here. As we call them here. Put forward a referendum 
or got a referendum on the ballot that uh, the rights of uh, you know lesbian gay people didn't have to be <laughs> that basically if your landlord found out you were gay, he could throw your ass out. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Long in the short of it, right? Exactly, and that was. You know the crux of this. I mean, it's it's NIMBY bullshit, right? Yeah. It's um, and these two cops, very clean records, didn't do anything <laughs> crazy. No, no, like weird shit on them, right? They're pretty good. No, so one of them had already had a bad, had had a history of overstepping. Mm-hmm. Um, but while the campaign was unfolding, so I, let me talk about Initiative Fifteen also because it'll give a lot of it's important here. Um, so. The state of Washington had recently passed a law that gave cops basically immunity to to murder people. Um, they they had they could use firearms at their own discretion, regardless. They were not really limited um, by much of anything. <laughs> so um, the mayor of Seattle at the time, Charles Royer, thought this this was ridiculous and um city council passed and he signed a law to rein that in so cops could only use their firearms if they believed that a suspect um was running away from a crime scene and had a gun um, or if they were like actually being attacked um and this was then put up to a referendum by the voters. So Initiative 13 was the, this anti-gay initiative. Initiative 15 was this war on crime, cops should be allowed to shoot people whenever they want kind of bill initiative. Um, you know, naturally the Seattle Police Department was all in favor of that. Yeah. Um, so as this campaign is unfolding... Um, one of the two cops, um, shoots an unarmed black man who's 26 years old, uh, John Alfred Rodney. And, uh, he also, um, had mental health issues. And this this becomes a moment where um so there were really two camps pushing uh the anti-13 campaign so there was well and it's not just anybody that shoots this man right oh it's the guy who fucking yeah. wrote the it's, it's and, Falk, who wrote right? initiative yeah. 13 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 exactly exactly and this was like a non-violent crime too like yes yeah like yeah that. yeah and um so and and he as i mentioned falk had already had a history of of uh over overstepping yeah um which you know the the state of washington basically gave him liberty to do that but um i don't think royer's law had gone into effect yet yeah he like got in under the wire right yeah according to your dissertation like he got that he got that murder in like two weeks before the you know um squeak that one in there Mm -hmm. yeah so this so there were two groups Fighting against Initiative 13, very much in line with what we've been talking about. The the more homonormative um, respectability politics group was Citizens to Retain Fair Employment, which very purposefully kept any references to being gay out of the name of their organization um, and really kept gay out of the fight 
in general. It was very much about how this was infringing on a universal right to privacy, that if you were allowed to be fired for being gay, that that would mean that people could, you know, peer in through your window and see what you're doing off the job. And then there was uh, the Seattle Committee Against 13, or SCAT, mm. creatively, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, creative name there. Um, and then they had a, a uh, an organization, Women Against 13, that, that formed and decided they needed their own group. Because um, Initiative 13 also came after protections for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The Scat and Watt crew were generally the gay liberation folks. Um, Younger, more radical, um, more intersectional. Hmm. And after that shooting, they um, did a lot to pair 15 and 13 together, which was very easy to do, since Mm -hmm. the man who wrote 13 had just shot an unarmed person. Um, and so there was a lot of coalitional activism around these two initiatives. And in fact, when the votes came down, so initiative 13 did fail. So Seattle's reputation for being gay tolerant was, was reified by this election at the same time. And and by a two to one margin, by the way, Hmm. at the same time that initiative 15 passed by a two to one margin, so a third of Seattleites basically said gay is okay, but cops should be able to use their guns whenever they want. Yeah. Um, however, thinking about the third that was, you know, on the social justice side of both of these issues, um, the central district, which was predominantly black at that time, voted more against 13 than Capitol Hill did which is mm-hmm. the neighborhood that we all think of as the gay one, which in 78, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's moving in that direction, but still... Um, so maybe a neighborhood of people who could imagine being discriminated exactly, against unhealthy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and that was a, an argument that Scott was saying, was this is mm-hmm. a slippery slope. If they take away our rights, what's going to stop them from coming after yours? Yeah. Um, well, and so the city basically spoke up right and was like when it comes to a gay community that we're seeing as like increasingly respectable so long as they act in particular ways we're okay with but i mean how would you see this policing violence law other than like you know keeping the central district in line right so for certain people who are just are never going to be acceptable right Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also worth noting that also in this election, Seattleites voted to overturn their busing system to achieve integration Mm -hmm. in public schools as well. What an unheard of thing outside of the South. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not in Boston. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it happened here too. Um, And same election. All the three of those things were the same election. So really this election, in my mind, represents a supplanting of Mm. racial liberalism with sexual liberalism. Um, And Seattle never really looks back. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Well, this is like this sort of hinge moment in 
American politics, this the sort of right wing backlash, you know, the coming Reagan revolution. Uh, there's also uh, big, you know, backlashes against just basic women's rights, equal mm-hmm. opportunity stuff. Um, this yeah, time, Phyllis Schlafly is kicking real hard right at this exact moment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, she's uh, uh, launching a crusade at the same time. Um, and it's interesting that as the country took this right-wing turn, like, it seems like in, in, in this form that you're describing, gay rights of a kind, like, managed to, like, slip through, to contort itself, to, like, find its way through that kink in, like, uh, our politics. And come out on the other side, like still moving forward. In Certainly in form. Seattle, that's true. You yeah. definitely do see a backlash. Um, you know, in the late seventies, the presumption was for 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 all these groups, feminists, gay folks, there was this real sense that things were improving, and um, there was almost an air of inevitability. There were even over fifty politicians, not necessarily Democrats, because the two parties hadn't fully crystallized around these social issues yet, who who were... You know, there were gay politics bills happening in Congress that were getting, you know, not close to a majority of support, but certainly a critical mass of support. And you could feel like maybe... Shortly. It's just a matter of time, right? Yeah. Um, and then after Reagan got elected, and then after AIDS hit... The you know public opinion polling about attitudes toward homosexuality just plummet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean the, the AIDS anxiety is very, very real, but the culture of Reaganism adds fuel to that fire. Yeah. yeah. So to bring it back to the beginning of the interview, and the idea of the uh, Pride Parade in two thousand seventeen, right? There was like uh, there was not just the issue of the counter-protest trying to maybe reclaim some of the politics of Pride, but there was another issue a little bit prior to that, right? Maybe between some of the sponsors. <laughs> yeah, so that was 2016. Oh, 2016, Pride. okay, yeah, my, my but, bad. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, Pride... So, first off, after it was a march downtown, mm-hmm. um, it was then... It went through a few years where the... The fighting between the sex-blind, mm-hmm. homonormative politics and gay liberation politics really came to a head. So, um, the Dorian Group, which is a, was a moderate gay rights organization, um, claimed ownership over the Pride. Um, it had been organized throughout the 70s by this group called the Stonewall Committee, mm-hmm. which generally were gay liberationists and lesbian feminists mm-hmm. um, and they moved it to Capitol Hill as a, a means of making it more of a community celebration or mm-hmm. parade as opposed to a, a, a march what, what year is this? this is 1980 so instead of marching and yelling at the non-converted now we're just parading in, right. in the neighborhood. 
Right. So to Earn... what to what degree at this point, I'm curious, had um the gay community or the epicenter of gay Seattle moved up the hill? Yeah, so so the hill was home to gay people before the bars moved there. Um the in the late 1960s, you both had the construction of the 520 bridge to the east side and the Boeing bust. So you just had people leaving Capitol Hill. You had big, wealthy Catholic families moving to the suburbs and, and people just leaving the Seattle area entirely. Um, so Capitol Hill became very, very inexpensive. Uh, and there were a lot of big homes there that became group homes for mm -hmm. gay liberationist families um, these mansions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and hippies and artists as well. Yeah. Um, you know, that's how Capitol Hill got the reputation that it has that is, doesn't really apply anymore. But, um, uh, so there was, and it was in the late seventies that the first bars started opening and, and gay bar owners started opening them there because of they're like, this is where the gay people are. Mm -hmm. It's not like we have housing protections. We have employment protections. We don't yeah. need to be going to Pioneer Square to go out. And, you know, you could perhaps read a little bit of racism into that, too, if it's bringing it away from mm -hmm. this very marginalized neighborhood to one that... I mean, Capitol Hill is still pretty... Um, in fact, a 1968 community survey made very clear that the biggest fear of people in the neighborhood was that black people were moving in. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so they're moving away. It's moving away from Pioneer Square, which is racially diverse, mm -hmm. into a more like, um, like mansiony neighborhood. Not, <laughs> not entirely. So, you know, west the west slope of Capitol Hill is, is yeah. apartment housing. It's yeah. not, it's, you know, very... But a different vibe. Yeah. And it's attracting businesses and bars and nightlife because there's, like, a scene of people living there. So you know, it seems like it's, like, uh, white flight and gentrification, like, happening at the same moment. Yes, absolutely. I guess from one yeah, actually, yeah. I guess from one place to another. But. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the neighborhood is changing very rapidly. Um, yeah, and the, and the seeds of gentrification are planted. And as, as I write in my dissertation, um, gay bar owners play a role in that, and of course they do, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Any any flourishing business is going to make a neighborhood more attractive. And and that that is very much part of the process of gentrification on a systemic mm -hmm. level. Yeah, um, one will create a, a internal interest in their own rising property values and things too. Right, right to, exactly. to keep the ball rolling. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, and so in 1981, uh, the Stonewall Committee moved the parade back to downtown. The following year, this new organization, the Greater Seattle Business Association which is a gay business association that purposefully doesn't have gay in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they have a G in it, but it, yeah. Um, the subtlest of subtlest. Yeah, they, they proclaim themselves the leader of the parade, which the Stonewall Committee was understandably pissed about. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my sources talks about... Um, uh, 
refers to GSBA as self-appointed leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like a little, just like capital takeover. They basically enclose the gay community. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like capital enclosure, and yeah. stealing the fucking and, event. You know, yeah. there there was so, yeah. It sounds like the chamber like types coming. It is, and that, that's out. exactly. I mean, the, and GSBA, by the way, today is the largest gay business association in the country, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it includes allies. So, like Linda Dershing was their mm-hmm. businesswoman of the year a couple of years ago. Legendarily um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who is not. Mm-hmm. Not gay, not a- anything yeah. in the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting, I got sidetracked. Where was <laughs> I going? That'll happen on this show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah so the, the GSBS basically has like had a hostile takeover of the the march, right? And, yeah, and the it's people back from on the, the Stonewall Hill. Committee yeah. are not thrilled. Yes. And, and they just happen to be marching them past their businesses. Right? Like, exactly. Uh, afraid, exactly. Like, that's their business. Exactly. Just in and case you want to stop and buy something. No, and that's and that's the that's the reasoning behind like this you know, they're transparent about this. Um so those those marchers and paraders are gonna be thirsty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, sure, yeah. So, um so you know, they they moved the parade back up to the hill. Um, a few years later, the Broadway Business Improvement uh, Association becomes the first business improvement district in Seattle. And from all of the research I did, it, I, there's a chance that it might be the first in the United States. Wow. Mm, interesting. Um, Toronto had them mm-hmm. prior to that, but I haven't, I haven't yet tracked down one in the U.S. before this one. Do we know if the Toronto one was? Drake related. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure Drake wasn't alive, then, but um, but yeah. So, uh, anyways, so the parade's on the hill for a number of years, and it's mm-hmm. I'd, it really becomes a community event, um, and one in which gay businesses are the main profiteers. It's it is it is like fucking Christmas on Broadway every mm-hmm. June. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2006, they make a decision to move the parade back downtown for a very different reason than before, but it's yeah. because the city wants... In. It wants, like, to portray itself the as prestige. embracing this yeah. community. So, so this is 2006, you said? Yeah. Do you think this is... This is just like a shot in the dark here. It, is this basic... Because George W. Bush has to have, like, rock bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah. This, this is point. like post Katrina. Iraq yeah. is not going well. Yeah. And so this is some like uh, bullshit, like that doesn't actually help in any way. Like stab in the eye of like the rainbow, Bush, the, the rainbow crosswalks we have now. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, from that time. Interesting. Oh no no no. Those are from oh, like oh, oh. Ed Murray's time yeah. as well. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Right. But yeah. This is um, you know that's the midterm election yeah. a few months later, five months later that. Now, fi- finally, like the tide turned against the Republicans. Yeah, yeah. When he's everyone like, was uh, everyone was out of their seat yeah. against. Uh, well, when we knew that the Republican Party would no longer live past two thousand eight. Yeah, election die as a, as a party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Would die as a party. There'd never be another Republican president again. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So, so <laughs> it so was an exciting time. So 2006, they brought it downtown. So what does the parade look like then at that point? And that's when it starts becoming corporatized. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, so in 20, I mean, 20, it's a 20, the 2016 situation is just so funny. So, um, so the organizers of the parade gave Delta the highest level of sponsorship for the parade. <laughs> like, there's tiers, tiers of sponsorship. Yeah, fuck yeah. So, um, so at this point, is the GSBA just, like, kind of written out of this? So, like, the major brands have, have won and GSBA's on the sideline, or...? Well, I mean, now there's probably... I mean, there's probably businesses on 4th Avenue that are GSBA. Yeah. That yeah. are not gay-owned. Yeah, but, yeah. But are, um, are, like, in the loose window sticker. Yeah, and, I mean, GSBA yeah, is still so. a sponsor. Yeah. Um, but but they're not gonna have they're not you know their pride of place is being pushed aside right. from the major business major corporations right it's like Delta yeah. correct yeah. yeah yeah so yes it's it's less of a buy gay kind yeah. of message and more a buy corporate people who like gays <laughs> yeah or at least are gonna tell you that while you purchase things. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, so obviously Alaska Airlines is based here in Seattle, um, and Delta was granted this this uh, sponsorship, and Alaska was told that they couldn't march in the parade, <laughs> and gay Alaska it's employees so cool. lost their fucking minds, <laughs> and ultimately... They had to represent for their, <laughs> their uh, airline warriors. Yeah, ultimately what? they were allowed to march in it... Um, but there, yeah, there was like an effort to As boycott the parade, like paid free advert, free advertisement, just yeah. on beha- the employees' on behalf, like yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, um, all well, of this, this is like yeah. in the nineteenth century when the competing firehouses would fist fight outside the fire, right? It's like that, like the competing airlines are gonna fist fight for this free, this chance to walk for free and advertise a company that's probably fucking you and your pay. But, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, and ultimately the the person in charge who made that decision quit the next day. But um, so but yeah, funny. just just uh, the perfect story to highlight like how corporate this parade yeah. is these days, um, and what that says about gay politics in the twenty t- this decade. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, and this is a process that really begins in the nineties. You start getting a lot more portrayal of gays in 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 national media, not just at the local level. Um, and a lot of it is in that normal, normalizing vein. Think mm. Will and Grace. Um, we have, you know, RuPaul now. Mm-hmm. I mean, RuPaul really was around then too, mm-hmm. but RuPaul's Drag Race really takes it to another level. We talked about this before we started, but, uh, the, f- we have been asking this, po- pausing this question about like, when did Seattle become progressive Seattle? And... This has made me think, uh, I, I didn't want it to be this, and I think this is the most horrifying thing, realization, and that it's like, but is it possible? Like, we'll come up with many theories here, but the one that I think has come out of this for me is that it's, um, ugh, like, peak Bush administration backlash, like, 
way too late. Um, yeah. Yeah, caring when it, it matters least. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, you know, when the war's going bad, you know? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, is that, can it possibly be that dark? Like, I, I thought that's what we said last last time we asked this what? question. It was post-2001. We, yeah, we had speculated right? maybe, like, the WTO in 99 yeah, was, yeah. like, the, the yeah. start mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I then said was all outside agitators. Yeah. Which I think well, got some pushback. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, that's, like, that's, like, that's, like, that's legit. Like, this, we're trying to identify this other thing. Um, yeah. But this is also progressive in scare quotes, right? Well, this yeah, is progressive, yeah. I think, the way liberals see it, right? Which right. I think well, in your story, Kevin, is Let's like, not that forget sense. that Seattle hosted the WTO right. in yeah, 1990. Yes. In, in liberals yeah. in Seattle were not thrilled about the anti-WTO protests. No, right? Yeah. Right? You know, so, I mean, I think they got upset about the how bad the city looked in the response to it, but, I, you know, they certainly weren't, like, happy that these groups that they didn't like were marching, you know? Uh, I don't know the liberal Seattle has, like, deep love for, like, steel workers and the IAM right. or, like, you know, uh, radical environmentalists, you know, that were also there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, but maybe two, maybe 2006. Maybe that's our moment. Maybe that, that was, like, a Caesar, you know, marching <laughs> through Rome of total liberal victory in, in Seattle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can certainly point to 1973 as, as with the employment ordinance as a, as Seattle setting it apart from mm-hmm. the rest of the... I mean, actually, Michigan was at the forefront. Ann Arbor and uh, I, I think a few college towns in Michigan were the first to really do it, but Seattle was the first, like, Major city. city. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it depends what what we mean by liberal here too. But yeah. you certainly have starting with Wes Ullman a series of with Royer, Norm Rice a series of mayors that are liberal. Yeah. But. Um, you know. Rel- you know, that's a relative term, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Liberal in affectation and presentation mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to protecting property values. Yeah, and that's what we're <laughs> talking about. This yeah. this neoliberal right. hegemony that is sort that uh, adorns itself with these certain progressive signifiers. That um, mm-hmm. it co ops. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's basically what the my dissertation is all about. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe any uh, final thoughts on the state of Seattle and <laughs> Seattle liberalism? Oh, God. <laughs> Will any of us be able to afford to live here and tell the end story? Oh, I, I feel like I know the answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there is a housing affordability portal that is potentially being built by the oh, city. Yeah. So mm-hmm. eventually we'll be able to uh, look on there and know that there's nothing. Well, should we pick this <laughs> up in... Uh... Patreon episode then. Yeah. Stay tuned. Put yeah. this one out first and then do a quick and try like maybe we'll do something shorter. Um Alright, so, so should we say bye to the freeloaders? Yeah. Uh <laughs> bye goodbye, freeloaders. Um suckers, <laughs> tune in uh for a further discussion about um sort of the present moment. 
where this uh, has all taken us. Okay. And before we go, was there anything uh, that you maybe wanted to plug or um, mention? Can people follow you? <laughs> plug going to high school. <laughs> would, you like us, would you like us to share your dissertation? To, um, um, no, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm, this summer I'm hoping to get more of a handle on it. I'm, I'm presenting at that conference in San Francisco, and we'll see if that ignites a spark for me to actually do more with this than let it sit and ProQuest dissertations. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. You're your first. Go to ProQuest dissertations, guys. Look up, <laughs> look up Kevin again. <laughs> Alright, well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being on the show. Um, yeah. This was really awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, and before we go, I guess we have one new Patreon subscriber. Keeping yeah. the streak alive. So thank you, Kristen Mayer. Uh, you rock. And if you want to be like Kristen, you can find us on Patreon. So, <laughs> all right. That's it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for <laughs> coming. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> all right.